This is the Real Leadership Podcast, a conversation about getting authentic, being yourself, and not being afraid of who you are, with Mark LeBusk and Kate Bora. Welcome, everybody. Kate Bora, founder and CEO of Young Professional Women Australia, uh, joined by Mark LeBasque, the human manager. How are you today, Mark? Well, very well, Kate. Nice to be speaking to you again on some real leadership topics. Yes. Absolutely. So today, Mark, we're going to be talking about finding your voice uh, in a room. And I think this is one that comes up, you know, for everyone. We've all been there. We've all been at a meeting um, or in a room where perhaps We've had something to say, we've had a question, we've had a great idea, we've had something we wanted to contribute. For whatever reason, it's been difficult for us to either put our hand up or to ask the question or whatever it is, contribute in the way that perhaps we felt we could do. And so something, in that scenario, something is getting in the way. And what we want to talk about today is how do you go about navigating those scenarios? Because I know personally, you know, for me, Mark, the clients I work with, this comes up often. And when we do work with clients around confidence, often what's orientated or, you know, the symptom or the behavior that shows up when we talk about a lack of confidence is this kind of example, the scenario I just mentioned where I'm in a room and for whatever reason, I don't say what I think Um, I don't ask the question, I don't contribute in the way that I know is possible. Yeah, look, it's a really interesting topic and, um, you know, like you, Kate, I came across it so often and and, and the really interesting thing is it happens at all levels, you know, so it's not just shop floor level or that lower level thinking I shouldn't speak up, it actually happens with managers regardless of what level they're at in the business. So there is something here around confidence and I remember a couple of years ago at one of your... um, young professional women functions, you know, you spoke a lot about confidence and, the, and one of the definitions that came up was around, you know, walking into that room and comparing yourself to nobody. And that really resonated with me because one of the things that happens to us is when we walk into the room, we start to see levels and hierarchies and maybe people's qualifications are better than yours or they've been around longer. And from that moment, we actually start to put ourselves in a situation where in some respects, quite consciously, we, we soften or we lose our voice. And I think that what that does is effectively we lose some opportunity to make the progress in that room that we, we're not making because you lose your voice. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly when we think about things like personal brand and reputation. I mean, if you're in a room in general, you've been invited into the room. So someone thinks you should be there. Um, someone wants you to either hear what's being going to be said in the room or wants you to contribute, you know, they think your contribution will be valuable. So I think it's, a, it's an important starting point to be really mindful of that. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a responsibility on the individual uh, to be clear about perhaps why they're in a room. And if you're not clear, to be able to go and find out and get some context around that. Um, particularly, you know, if you're not sure. Um, I know as a as an, a finance controller, I was often taken into meetings by the CFO and his purpose as a general rule was actually just for me to learn. But, you know, I remember there were some times where, you know, there'd be quite, and I'm going to suggest confidential and intimate conversations between sort of the C suite executives and then I was there uh, who was not on that that peer group level and you know there were were times when perhaps I wasn't sure it was you know I'm sitting in a room um, but I wasn't sure why I was there and so I think in hindsight uh, all these things are great in hindsight to have actually been really clear 
um, and to, you know, be asking your boss or whoever has been the person who's invited you into that room, you know, just want to check in. Um, have you got any expectations or what are your expectations of me being here today? Am I here to listen? Um, am I here to take notes? Am I here to, um, is there a specific aspect of the conversation you'd like my input or is it in general? And I think that's a useful frame for everybody to start to um, use in conversations or when they're, when they're invited into conversations that they perhaps are unclear about why they're there. And I'd suggest this probably happens more often than not, Mark, with, um, with people. I've certainly heard examples of where, um, you know, people are not sure why they're somewhere and so then they sit there quiet for the entire time. And that in and of itself is weird because if you're in a room and there's someone there who doesn't say a word, you do start to wonder why they're there. Yes, you do indeed. And look, I think um, the, the sort of frame that you put around that is, is a good one to allow people to make sense of why they're there. And I have been in rooms myself, particularly when you get invited into a room where there are, you know, there are people that may be one level, maybe two levels above you. And if you're not sure why you're in there, the, the, the first thing you're going to do to keep yourself safe is just say nothing. Um, because imagine if you said something and you looked across and the CEO looked at you in a very strange way for whatever reason, um, that would then just start to throw fuel onto the fire about why you shouldn't speak up. So first things first is be really, really clear, as you said, about what your role could be in that room. And then the other thing I, I think is worth exploring a bit for the people listening here today is think about the room that you're in and what your role might be. And what I mean by that is if you're the manager of the group in the room, you are more than likely to to talk because one of the things the authority in the room is given the um, opportunity to do is to be heard by those in the room. If you're in a room with your peers, do you speak up and can you think about the times that you do find your voice? Is it more based around what you think you're technically knowledgeable about or is it more about you just feeling safe in that room with these people? And then the third one is when you're in a room with people who are at a level higher than you, What's your position on that? Do you walk in there and go, well, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. I'm just going to stay quiet just in case I say something that might offend someone or that the one I hear most, Kate, from the people I coach is I don't want anything to make me look stupid or like I don't know what I'm doing. So there's, there's just some things to, for maybe the managers on this call to start to think more about before they walk into the room, how am I going to choose to be? Yeah, and I love... Um you know, that piece, it really does come down to safety. You know, do I feel like um, it's safe to fail? If I do ask a question, if I do say something that's not right, um, you know, is it okay? So I think that's, you know, it's a good frame of reference. The, then kind of the next step to that is how do I make it safer for me? How do I, how can I change that? I think the important piece of acknowledging what is, acknowledge how you feel or what's going on for you and now what can I do to, to change it so that I show up as the best version of myself. Um, and I think, you know, just a, a, a piece that I want to emphasise here is, um, you know, if you are a manager in the room, if you are some of the more senior people in the room, how do you create that environment? How do you create that safe environment for people to contribute? And I know, Mark, we do this a lot as facilitators. 
Um, but I think it's useful to be mindful. If you're in a room where you feel like your voice is the only one that's being heard, that's a really good sign to tell you to zip it a little bit, start asking some questions and start to facilitate and get some contribution from other people. Because by definition, if you've asked them to be in the room, it's not generally just to hear a, a message or a spiel from you. You know, often we can do that via email. So um, yeah, a, mindful of that one. It's a great point. Um, one of the things that I talk to those who come to my human manager program, in fact, I've written about it in, in my book as well, is that, um, you know, if you're in the room and it's all quiet, that's not a great sign. If you're the manager in that room and things are quiet and everyone's nodding their heads, you know, don't think you're doing a brilliant job. Start to ask yourself the question, why? Why is there such compliance? Why is there such head nodding? Why is no one asking questions? And I do recall I had, a, I had a, a graduate working for me by the name of Robin and, and in her second graduation round, so she's about 10 months into the business, one day I did get a sense in the room that things weren't all that, weren't all that well. I was doing all the talking and I just asked the group the question, what's going on at the moment? And we're a bit quiet. And Robin, who was the young graduate, said, because this is boring. And um, I noticed the looks on the other faces of the other people who didn't say anything how shocked they were. And I asked Robin why, and she told me. But what I worked out was that I hadn't created a safe enough space for people to speak up at the time. So we had a conversation about that. And and the rest of the room had thought it was um, boring too for about the last two meetings, but they didn't feel like they wanted to speak up lest they be castigated by the boss in the room. So to your point, um, it is just as important for the most senior person or the authority figure in that room to create an environment where I want you to challenge me, I want you to experiment, and I want you to find your voice because that's when you might just get the thing that helps your group go forward. So be really conscious of, of um, silence. Yeah, and that's, you know, actually triggers a whole other conversation, which we'll definitely um, make a note to have, and that's around permission. You know, giving people permission um, to challenge, people permission to, you know, give you feedback that perhaps you're not going to like. And it's really important as a leader that when we get that, that we don't react in a way that's going to effectively contradict that permission. Um, and so, you know, being really conscious of that, um, our behaviour and how we handle that is really important. So, Mark, let's jump into, um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, getting clear about why you're there so the expectations on you and understanding your own expectations. Um, let's talk a little bit about preparation because I think one of the things that we see happen is, you know, particularly time-poor uh, environment that we work in, um, people are kind of showing up or rushing into meetings barely knowing what's going on um, or what they're expected to do or what even the topic is. So uh, let's talk about the importance of actually doing some preparation before you walk into the room to really help you with finding your voice. Yeah, I look at three areas here. The first one is under-preparing. So, you know, you didn't, you, you chose not to read the, the notes of the last meeting or you chose not to read the, um, the paper that um, you were going to be discussing at the time and you thought you'd go in and wing it. Well, that's not going to work. And, and, and what will usually happen is you won't say anything. The second one is, I'm going to go to the, go to the top one and say over-preparing, that you spend so much time in contemplating what might happen in the meeting and, and, and reading the notes and the papers and, and maybe over-preparing so much that you start to confuse yourself to the point where you won't want to say anything because 
you actually might contradict yourself in the meeting. So there's under-preparation and over-preparation, and then there's this piece in the middle where you spend a little bit of time before the meeting being respectful of anything that's been sent out to you to look at, having a read of it, putting your own perspective on that, because I think, again, perspectives are really important, different perspectives, and then going into the session, being confident enough that you've got something to contribute as a maybe a different perspective that is going to help the group to solve a problem that they may not have solved if you hadn't have done, you know, 15, 20 minutes or half an hour of preparation. So I think there's three, three areas. Over-preparing will create problems as will under-preparing. So you've just got to be able to do enough. Yeah, and, you know, a tip on just productivity here, you know, I'm a big fan of using and leveraging your unconscious um, mind. And so, you know, doing it right before, not super helpful. Perhaps at the beginning of the week, looking at your diary and being able to just spend an hour doing some prep work for all those conversations or those meetings that you're going into means that what happens is as the days go past, so if it's a Wednesday and you're doing some prep and the meeting's not till Friday, um, you'll continue, your unconscious will continue to think about and mull over and build your views. So, you know, there's value in giving yourself some time um, so that you can really, uh, you know, leverage the power of the brain to ensure that when you go in, you do have some really great feedback, some great contributions, some great um, questions to ask. And I think, you know, that's definitely one piece. I see people over-preparing, you know, particularly when someone is lacking confidence going into a scenario, you know, prepare, over-prepare, prepare again, more preparation is something we do. The cost of that is huge. And so the big tip I have for people who feel um, who are in that scenario and who are orientating towards that behaviour is to actually start to unpack what are they worried about. So if you're worried about being, uh, you know, looking stupid or not knowing the answer, the tip that we share in our confidence workshops is, you know, if someone does ask you a question you don't know the answer to, what are you going to do? How can you respond to that? So, you know, if there's uncertainty or if there's something you're worried about, have a strategy for that. Now, most people, Mark, just kind of sit there going, oh, I'm worried I'm not going to be able to answer the question. Now, particularly, say, for example, in interviews, people are worried, you know, over-prepare for an interview um, because there's perhaps some particular aspect of their CV um, they may not feel is strong enough. And the, the tip I say is when, you know, prepare, have an answer so that when someone asks you that question, you've got an answer ready to go. And that way we restore that really um, strong foundation of confidence. The reality is we don't know the answer to everything. You know, in this world where information is so freely available, you know, the old days of, you know, being the smartest person of the ro- in the room um, and being able to have good confidence um, or certainty around that pretty much has disappeared. And, you know, it's possible that someone else can be in the room and know something that you don't. So being able to um, know how you would respond to that to a question you don't know or to a bit of information you don't know but perhaps should have, preparing a a response, a strategy is useful because all of a sudden you're not going to go into that crazy fight or flight moment where the brain leaves you and you kind of sit there looking kind of and feeling stupid and don't know what to say. Yeah, and look, um, great points you make, Kate. And the one thing to never do is to have a guess at it. So, you know, sometimes when you feel under pressure and someone asks you that question, you might just go, well, I've got to respond to this, so I'm going to have a go at it. And I've seen that happen quite deliberately in meetings where a senior manager will do that and they'll ask the question and really it's a test to see whether or not you're prepared to be 
courageous enough to say, look, I'm not sure of the answer to this one, but I'll go and find out and come back to you. Or whether you might try and duck and weave because you want to look like you know the answer and you come up with something that's completely wrong. And I think that then starts to impact upon your credibility. So to your point, we need to be able to be, I guess, confident and courageous enough to, to sometimes say we don't know because that's all right and we can go and find out. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Honesty, um, authenticity, all really crucial um, characteristics that we want to bring to these conversations. And I think, um, you know, the other thing, Mark, is to not actually be watering down our opinions or our thoughts. Um, I've seen, you know, people in meetings say, oh, this might be a stupid question or, um, you know, I just want to ask, you know, watering down their comments just to kind of almost give themselves an out if it is a stupid question. And what I've said, I've done this, you know, I've given feedback in the past where I've been in the meetings and I've had a colleague who um, has said that. And later on I've just said, no, don't say that because now what you're doing is you're almost directing the room to decide whether it was or wasn't a stupid question before they're even going to answer the question. Yeah, look, um, great point. So a couple of things, two Ps come to mind for me here. The first one is, the word probably, and um, I'm anti-probably because I think the I hear so many people use the word probably to water down or to create some sort of safety for them just in case their perspective may not be the prevailing one in the room, or we probably will do this or we'll probably do that. And if you're a manager and you're using the word probably, just think how that is impacting on the people in the room or if you're saying that in a room where your manager or some other superiors are, just think about maybe what's going through their head around whether or not you are prepared to take a position on something or whether you're not. The second one is perspective. And, and just on that one, in a, in a room where there's a really healthy um, conversation going on, there will be different perspectives. And I see great teams and great managers being able to hold different perspectives and in particular be able to at some point in time take a bit of their perspective and a bit of someone else's and come up with the solution. But if you don't say anything, you only end up with maybe one perspective in the room. I think you're leaving stuff behind that, that should be put on the table. So what I would say is this, check on how many times you use the word probably. And then the second thing is make sure that in a, in a room that you are providing the group with your perspective on something, even though it may not be the prevailing and popular one. Yeah, and useful to get feedback from um, trusted peers or colleagues around language uh, because we're often really unconscious that we're using um, language like apologising or saying things like sorry or, um, you know, all those sorts of things or, or language that is not... Uh, creating a powerful and resourceful state. So um, useful to get feedback from people in the room. And I think the other thing and the final piece, Mark, that we'll just touch on is the importance of being aware of what's going on in the room, what's being said and what's not being said and using that as cues. Yeah. um, So we are, um, I guess, we're hardwired to take information in initially verbally. So it's what we're hearing. And, 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 but, a lot of times in the room, it's what's not being said that is where the real message is. And it may also show up in body language as well. So one of the things for, for listeners in this, and particularly if you're in a management position, is 
to start to pick up the things that are being said, a bit like with what happened with Robin that time. You know, instead of me just rattling on like I usually would, I stopped and went, hey, what's going on right now? There's something here that's not quite right. Because we are so busy and, you know, meetings go from, we go back-to-back meetings, we just get in there and we just listen to what's being said. Listen for what's not being said. And then, again, be courageous and deliberate enough to call a pause and just say something like, hey, what's going on right now? And I think that's what the really good managers do and that's what the good teams do. Yeah, and I guess the final closing piece is, and in order to be able to be aware of what's not being said, you really need to be present. Um, Being in the room, having your attention in the room, paying attention to how you're feeling, to um, the body language of other people, what it feels like, what the dynamic in the room feels like, all really powerful tools in terms of being able to manage the room but also to really ensure um, that effective communication. So, Mark, thank you for another insightful conversation as always. My pleasure, Kate. I'm uh, enjoying this again. We're trying to cover stuff that really happens. This is about real leadership and I'm hoping that uh, our listeners are um, picking up some pretty important points. So thank you. Pleasure. Hey, it's Mark here again. Thanks for listening to the Real Leadership Podcast. We hope it gave you some tips to be the real leader you can be. If you liked it, why not rate it five stars and share it with your friends? Or if you loved it, subscribe through iTunes for upcoming episodes. And in the meantime, check out our websites, ypwa.com.au for the Young Professional Women of Australia and marklebusk.com for Mark LeBusk. And while you're there, check out my new book, Being Human. Be sure to listen out for our next podcast on growing your network. And in the meantime, keep your leadership real.